Unfortunately, we had some audio issues with this episode, but there's still a lot of great takeaways from Justin. So thank you so much for listening. Enjoy my conversation with Justin Redrick. The only thing, like the one thing that clicked off the most was just like the decentralization. Because like I said in the book, it can move like it. And I really, it really just clicked like quickly because the whole, the decentralized part of it was just like moving stamps in prison. So then once we attach, like, so it's like basically when I told Zay, it's like 44 cents. So it's like a value going up like 50 cents and it's still saying one stamp. He was like, yeah. I was like, oh, shit. And so when I still had that same example and I said like, all right, so let's just say the canteen in prison went up in value and the guards can never take it. That's kind of like how it is with me. I was like, golly, this could be amazing. So like I just conceptualized it from like, because they said, when he said it was pure freedom, I said, well, it has to survive prison then. How can it survive prison? Like, if I put it as if it's pure freedom, then it should be able to survive prison. And I was just like, well, yeah. Like, you could walk around with a hardware walls in prison for years. <laughs> if you know how to hide it correctly and take care of it, it's, it's possible. Welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast where we explore the intersection of Bitcoin and progressive issues. I'm your host, Mark Stefani. My guest today is Justin Redrick, also known as Bitcoin Vegan. Justin is an author and entrepreneur in the Bitcoin space. His path to what he has achieved today was by no means straightforward. In his book, From Bars to Bitcoin, he describes how his three years in prison was not solely a punitive experience, but rather one that gave him the tools and mindset to do great things once he was out. And that's exactly what he has done. Thank you so much for listening. Please enjoy the episode with Justin Redrick. Justin, thank you so much for joining me on the Progressive Bitcoiner podcast. Happy to have you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Today's a bit of a somber day for you, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, uh... It's definitely a day to remember. February 18th. Your friend Travis Moore was was killed about 15 years ago. Is that correct? Yeah. In your book, From Bars to Bitcoin, you talk about Travis trusting you, trusting you in a rather short period of time. What do you think he saw in you to allow for that trust? Uh, man, to this very day, I, I really can't say. I mean, um, it's hard to say. I mean, of course, you, can, you know, you can see that you're a nice guy or a good person, but I don't know. Like, I really can't say what the defining moment was, but you tend to hear things that are important, you know, when they matter. So I really can't say that, man. It's that that deep. In your book, you talk about uh, relying on your instincts as a young man. How did you cultivate and and fine-tune those instincts, and did they ever mislead you? Um, Not necessarily. Like, I can't say they misled me because I didn't die. But, um, like, after that, so I had a conversation with some of my friends who were there, and I said, like, you know, how, like, were you changed? Like, did you notice something different about life? And it's like, yeah, like, they'll say, like, that moment saved, like, changed their life forever. Like, you don't look at the world the same. Like, so ever since then, my instincts was what I purposely relied on. So, like, I would see things in a whole different view. Things could, like, slow down. I know that I try to take, I, like, ever since then, 
I would just see the world just move at a different pace. So I don't know, it worked out to my advantage and it made me trust that I could I can know what I can see. A big chunk of your book is obviously about your your time in prison and how you ended up there is well told describing your book and I encourage listeners to pick it up to better understand that. But one of the most remarkable things that you say is that prison was a stepping stone. Quote, you say, I started to think about what kind of purpose I could have in jail. Who who the hell says that about jail, Justin? Why did why did you see it as that and why did you not feel defeated? Um I mean, like I said in the book, I always, I always thought I had a chance. Um, instead of looking at it terribly, it was like, well, you know, most of the people who come, there's some great people who came out of prison. I just didn't look at all the, you know, the negatives or, you know, who, whatever people might want you to believe. It was just like, hey, um, I always believe, I, I always bet on myself. Even going to prison, it was like a bet on myself, but it was just everything has a purpose. You know, you have to find a purpose with life. And so it was rock bottom. I didn't have any other option. You know, I didn't have any other option but to find a way to to find a way to win. And so at first was just how I thought about it. And it was a step of stone because um, I looked like I looked at will come home. Uh, I still had a chance because of my instincts. You know, my instincts is what I knew I could rely on coming home. You notice a lot of people in prison had ended up there because of the crimes that they had committed were the result of trying to get money. What were the people's reflections on that commonality? It was just like, you know, times are, like you could just tell that everyone came from a certain background, but they didn't understand why. Like, it just seemed like that's how life should have been. Like the options were very small, either like no pro or sell drugs. But it really got down to like, you know, belief, like that's the belief folks cultivate. But then around you, you know, when you live, when you live in a certain view of life, you only take what's around you until you take yourself outside that spectrum. So, but everybody, everybody needed money. You know, everybody needed money. It would be nothing to see like a grown adult. You're like, man, I need $50. And they need it. Like, that's it. So you end up having learned behavior. And that learned behavior picks up on, you know, whatever's around you. That's why when I really learned what learned behavior was, I purposely went to different crowds of people. And that's how it comes about. No real exposure to how to make money, you know, how to build, you know, just survive and survive and just survive, like no living. So after a while, you know, you just start thinking like, damn, I, I need to do what everyone else around me is doing to get money or whatever it's going to pay. And that turns into a whole situation of whatever comes from, you know. And then, but then also that's how our environment is. Like America itself is built like that. Like that's what we, that's what this country is built on. You know, straight up violence. And that's America. So it's only right that the people in general learn the model from the person who creates the model. When you get out of prison and experience something that I'm sure everyone else with a record does, and that's no one will hire you, you had to have known that that was coming going into it, yet you decide to, as you say, create your own economy rather quickly. Was there any hesitation in doing that, or were you still hoping to find a, a career? Um, not, I wasn't even looking for a The only career I was looking for was like big, something like Bitcoin. 
it wasn't necessarily a career. It was like a shift. I wanted to be a part of a shift. But I didn't know that's what I wanted to be a part of. And so what came with that was finding out that I still, that I was part of something very early. Um, so when I even had jobs, like, I didn't really understand how to, the first thing, like I said, the first thing I was doing was cooking food. And that was just like, that was tremendously hard. Like for just someone to say, hey, I'm going to become an entrepreneur by cooking and delivering food. Like I was not really committed to that. <laughs> but, you know, it was an introduction. And um, like, I didn't even understand how to like, you know, write down profit or loss. I just knew I needed to learn how to generate some money. Like I just had a real bad cycle and flow of money. And in my idea, it was just like, you know, you get started, you'll find out more as you go. But the only thing you can do is just get started and bump your head. So um, that survival instinct kicks in again. I realize it's all about your will to win. If you don't have the will to win, you will be, um, you won't survive. So you're a, you're a boxer. So my next question, I'm going to draw on some boxing history here. Custy Amato, Tyson's coach. Uh, said about Tyson, if he remains committed, dedicated, and interested, and without any distractions, he can be the greatest heavyweight champion of all time. And Tyson himself said that when he got into the ring, everything he did was a desire to not go back to the life that he once knew. You talk about other inmates saying, I went back, I went back, I went back to the neighborhood that I was in before, I went back to the habits that I was in before, the friends that I was in before, and I ended up in prison again. And you, Justin, went back briefly. How did you pull yourself out of that? Well, really, like I learned a lot of what to do by learning what not to do. Um, so when I would hear those statements and I would see it play out in real life, I'd be like, you know, this is my cue to go. You know, like this isn't really ending down. I can see this path playing out and this won't be leading much anywhere. Um and then I always remember, like, freedom was all I ever wanted to have. So nothing was worth my freedom. Nothing was worth me being able to, you know, create. Nothing was worth me coming back to an environment where, you know, nothing was worth going back to prison. Right. Like, nothing was worth going back to prison. It wasn't, like, I somebody, I want to sit under a bridge and do this shit again. Cold night, bro. Like, like. It's not worth, it was never worth it in my eyes. So that was just some place like I would never, like there is no way, there's no possible way. Like I would just throw that all away. It was just, it was just something that wasn't even on the menu to do. So and I heard it so much. You let the surroundings control you. Like if you don't really step in between that automatic monotony of your life or your day and just be like, you know what? Fuck this. No, like, Something has to stop. You saw prison as a springboard. You gained tools and a mindset to try to accomplish what you have today. Do you ever think about how your life might be different had you not been in prison? Yeah, it might be. Hell, to be honest, it might. I don't know. It could be worse. Um, you know, you start indulging yourself in activities that just goes more and more in that circular of a trap. Or, you know, I probably would have never really cared about Bitcoin. So, I tried to only look at it as like it had to happen. It just had to happen. Your book, 
from Bars to Bitcoin is built around the main idea of the orca as an apex predator. Tell us more about why the orca is the apex predator. Well, I mean, it's it's hilarious because they're they're highly intelligent. Um, they work in pods. They have the highest hunting skills. They communicate. Like when I was even watching it, like I said in the book on National Geographic and YouTube. You know, it just it, the most puzzling fact was the fact that like they're not talked about much, like at all. You only see them at at Sea World. You know, you, they only paint the, the the most delicate light of them on TV and National Geographic. But these animals are a whole lot out here killing all the sharks in the water, like with precision. So like, <laughs> that's apex to me. It was just like wow, like, and you knew not, and you know not to hunt humans. Like, you know not to hunt humans. Like, they don't have one on record. So it, it stands a high chance that they know not to hunt humans. So to have that type of intelligence, they're really, they really are kind of the number one plant, animal on the planet because if we all get flooded, guess what? We can't swim with them. <laughs> one of the interesting points that you bring up is that orcas have been uh, known to save humans when they're otherwise faced with um, other predators in the ocean. So if, if you are the apex predator, like the orca, do you feel like you have an obligation to defend the defenseless as well? I say like this, the obligation is to provide the, the knowledge to where those quote-unquote defenders can pick up the pieces to do so. And to be honest, if someone doesn't want to defend themselves like that, you can't take responsibility for because you'll then be enabling them. You know, like, and I'm much rather, like, now, I'm much rather someone, you know, pick up, you know, just say, you know, hell to hell with it, we're going to get it, throwing, throwing caution to the wind and going for it. Like, you have to swing back on life if you want someone to help. You know, you have to be, you can either, and you can also be walking in the total wrong direction. For me, it took me a while to really understand parts of sales, right? Still learning to this day. But someone said, hey, you know what? You have the dedication and the will to make whatever, you know, you're mentored on or taught make someone feel like it's worth it. So when you even, like I said, if you are willing to fight for your life, somebody will come in there. They was like, it just won't stay that way forever. So. In that regard, yeah, but to just, you know, all out, put my neck and life and energy online for someone who will not, it just won't be purposeful. I suppose we should talk a little bit about Bitcoin. A friend told you about it in, in uh, 2016, is that right? Mm-hmm. Did it immediately resonate with you? When he like really broke it down, yeah, it did. Um, it clicked off. And that's not the prerequisite to be a hardcore Bitcoin about. I just, don't, I just don't want nobody who's listening to think, damn, if I don't get it right away, I'm not going to be a real Bitcoin. Like, nah, that's not it. But um, it did. The only thing, like, the one thing that clicked off the most was just, like, the decentralization. Because, like I said in the book, it can move, like, it, I really, it really just clicked, like, quickly. Because the whole the decentralized part of it was just like moving stamps in prison. So then once we attach, like, so it's like basically when I told Zay, it's like 44 cents 
it says like the value going up like 50 cents and it's still saying one stamp. He was like, yeah. I was like, oh shit. And so when I still had that same example and I said like, all right, so let's just say the canteen in prison went up in the value and the guards can never take it. That's kind of like how it is with me. I was like, golly, this could be amazing. So like, I just conceptualized it from like, cause he said, when he said it was pure freedom, I said, well, it has to survive prison then. How can it survive prison? Like if I put it as if it's pure freedom, then it should be able to survive prison. And I was just like, well, yeah, like you could walk around with a hardware walls in prison for years. <laughs> if you know how to hide it correctly and take care of it, it's, it's possible. So your, your experience in prison definitely changed your perspective on the importance of Bitcoin. Is that right? Oh, yeah. And also remove the fear. Interesting. How's that? People would say, we well, could lose a lot of money. I lost a lot of time, so we can, we can handle the loss of money. You know, um, it was opportunity. Nobody was, like, going to stop you. Nobody was stopping you. Nobody knew enough to how to stop you either. So no one could be over you. You know, it's 100% your responsibility to learn, to do, to act, to contribute, to have value. So... So speaking of um, not wanting you to invest in something and telling you that you uh, should not learn about something, the recent Economist article that once again makes the claim that Bitcoin is solely used for white supremacists in uh, the alt-right. So setting aside the fact that the data does not demonstrate that, what really is frustrating is to see that once again, this paternalistic nature of the economist and other pundits saying what Justin Redrick should be doing with his time, what Justin Redrick should be doing with his money, his investments, and that, moreover, what you want to do is not good enough, and it's, in fact, enabling the very people that want to suppress you. How, how do articles like this resonate with you as a member of the Black community? Well, you know, to be honest, man, it really just makes me want to think, how the hell do I get on the economist? It's a played out metric, in my opinion. And the reason being like, yeah, the alt-right use Bitcoin. They've also been using the U.S. dollar. Like, we've always been using the same money. And those are the type of things that get to me the most. It's just like, I just look at people who, like, potentially fall for the same type of, like, jargon. It's like, we have to, it, it really shows you the power of media. It tells you that. It shows you the power of media. Because some people will just go off of that veil right there and leave it alone. That's that's it. And so it shows you the power of media. It shows you the power of headlines um, and control. Because now sometimes you can see that it's just like, all right, let's place this right here at this time. Let's place this here. Let's keep the the divide visible. There's always going to be a divide, period. There's always going to be a divide. That's 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 not even in question. But it's how are we going to place the barrier there, and then people run with it. So it's just like when people really just fall back a bit, tone down on the headlines, and take a minute to think. Like we've always been using the same money. And then once you take it to that level, you can see like this is some type of mass media situation. But 
for it to be told like, you know, this is what you should do with your money or, you know, you should go this way. Again, it's like when it gets down to that level, it's like, damn, like, you know, that's how you can keep someone in a box. It's almost like how you do um how you do cattle. They just like shift them towards or away or however they want. That can happen. Of course, it's not going to be 100 percent, but it can just be just enough to make a difference. So this, the author of this article, if she's sitting in front of you, what would you want to tell her? Great article. When can we connect for a follow-up for how Black America views the alt-right and Bitcoin? So you can have both sides and make a decent conversation out of it. Here's my email. <laughs> That's all I would say. That's an orca move. I love it. So you've written a book. You've done several entrepreneurial efforts. What are your goals for working in the Bitcoin space moving forward? I have like a lot of neat little ideas with the Bitcoin space. Um, one is to one is a project Zay and I are putting together um, with his Bitcoin Academy in Miami, where I'm planning to educate Bitcoin, uh, educate returning citizens on Bitcoin, in hopes of jobs, freelance work, entrepreneurship. Us um, combining with other companies, partnering with other companies, um, open to sponsorships as well. But the idea of that is to, you know, add workers, you know, like not just workers like for companies, but add value to the network because you have a situation where like in America, it seems like the whole country's under attack. Nobody wants to work. There's a group of people that will work, but like you have to kind of flip the switch on some things if you want to hire them. And so in my ideas, like you introduce that idea and concept and reality of Bitcoin and you allow the time to, you know, take it, you allow the course to run its time, you'll find more unicorns out there who will just come out of prison and see the value. And then that just adds robustness to the network. I want to put together like a training solution because as I go around in different aspects of Bitcoin, like there's always something to add to like a business model or you know uh, industry whether that's like some type of leadership training or you know something because i put out a, a notion on twitter like what do program met what do ceos look for in project managers in bitcoin Corey swan responded a maniacal <laughs> maniac maniacal uh obsession of bitcoin lamar wilson said um you know uh something about organizational drive knowing how to solve problems on the fly. Uh, Jonathan Chester, Bitwage, he commented on it as well. Uh, this guy, Neil, got away from Compass Mind. They all have pretty much the same language. And when you look on the, like, the crypto job boards, it's just like all of those positions out there need to be filled. But you still need people to understand Bitcoin before they take those jobs. So how could I add value to that? And then, you know, facilitate, not facilitate, but help people get employment in Bitcoin. Do you foresee ever going back to uh, prisons to educate uh, the prisoners there on site? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've tried. Um, I tried with several states, but um, they had a change of governors and it wasn't really in line with what they wanted, but that's definitely on the menu. That's definitely on the menu. Um, any, If any of your listeners out there, you know, have any access or support want to lend support we could definitely discuss but yeah that's uh that's on the menu 
definitely to do that intercept before you get out because now you can go out with a thought like I know where to go as opposed to getting out. It's different when someone can actually meet you before you get out because then you, you can't really ignore the fact that you weren't told this as opposed to getting out, wandering around for eons and then finding. So it's just as simple. It's as simple as intercepting the return of citizens and then giving an easier access of thought to freedom. My last question, Justin, is what gives you hope? People. I don't know what part, but I think the will of people, you know, innovation, people always want like the demand, the, the growth, uh, Bitcoin for sure. But um, to be honest, like disruption, I, I like disruption. Anything about it, because um, it's going to bring a different change. Like, in my opinion, this next decade, like is going to be crazy. Things are just going to change over. It's going to be a lot of fast moving stuff with the tech, Bitcoin, with whatever. And just got to buckle up and be ready because it's about, I, in my opinion, it's going to get wild. But I just, that's what gives me hope. Just the future. I love it. Well, tell the listeners where they can find you. So if you're on uh, Twitter, Bitcoin Vegan, Instagram, Bitcoin Vegan Justin. If you're on Clubhouse, follow Black Bitcoin Billionaires. Uh, I'll be in there often. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Justin Redrick. And on YouTube as Justin Redger. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a true pleasure speaking with you. And I wish you all the best. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you.